2: Hello listener and welcome to Jumpers for Goalposts, the nostalgic 90s and 2000s football podcast. Ever find yourself daydreaming about retro players, goals and kit sponsors? Then this is the show for you. This week we travel back to a time when Russell Crowe hit the big screen with Gladiator, Eminem shot at the top of the album charts and Chelsea beat Aston Villa in the FA Cup final. That's right, it's May 2000. We take a look at the Premiership final weekend as Bradford City and Wimbledon fight it out to stay alive in top flight football. Meanwhile, Liverpool and Leeds are chasing that last Champions League place. Test yourself in our weekly Balls Against the Wall quiz and listen as we read Steve Bruce's story while he's in the bath. All that plus we talk transfers, Mavericks and Mad Men. So dust off your cream suits Spice Boys and Girls and let's get going. (music) Hello, listener, and welcome to Jumpers for Gold Posts. Now, I would like to introduce you to two men who once got suspended from school for a week and went to their local video shop and rented Pro Evolution Soccer 6 for the entire week. They would later declare it was the greatest week of their lives. These two men have been known to go weak at the knees at the thought of a front four which consists of Jason Yule, Robbie Earle, Marcus Gale and Ethan cuckoo. They are Daniel McIntyre and Connor Elliott, otherwise known as Dan and Mush the Matchman. Dan, how are we? How are you doing, Stephen? Thanks for having us on. No problem. Did you like that little introduction there? Do you think that sums I you up well? I love that
1: introduction. Probably just about sums us up, yeah, in a nutshell.
2: And, and that was the greatest week of your lives, isn't that right? It was a great week. I often look back at it.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Daniel got, got us both suspended, but it,
1: it
2: panned out well. We still fight about who got who suspended. Well, sorry. Right. Good, good. Well, at least she's made up. And um, time to do this podcast <laughs> twenty years later. Um, <laughs> first things first. Why? Why are we doing this? Have we? Have we fallen out of love with, with modern era football? Have we? Have we went a bit mental over lockdown? Why are we here?
1: I've went a bit mental over lockdown. I've watched a lot of a lot of nineties football, early nineties football, all the competitions, the European competitions, the glory days. And I just miss what those men were like because there's very few of them about now. And I miss the players more than anything else. But, um, yeah, I miss the style of football as well. Everything was just gung-ho. And uh, aye, it was just a mad time in football and the best time, in my opinion.
3: Even back, uh, back then in the 90s, you look at uh, <laughs> even boys like the Keanu when he came in. Uh, obviously, you people like Keane um even a spray, just uh, characters galore from all across the world. Like whereas nowadays, they seem that they're very scripted and you know they're TV polished. And lads, what are we trying to do on this journey?
1: Well, we're basically trying to go back
3: to a time
1: that we loved and live in that time as young men, rather than when we were growing up, we would have been kids watching these guys. So we wouldn't have had a full appreciation for everything that was going on it's only now when you're older you look back at photographs videos old games classic kits that you appreciated and also all the different types of mad stories mad rumours around transfers how transfers happened back then as well um, you know just you could wake up on a Monday morning for example which happened sorry it was a Tuesday morning in 1995 you wake up you hadn't a clue about anything you read nothing in the papers and Andy Cole signed for Manchester United for 7 million pounds
2: and Keith Gillespie went the other Gillespie.
1: way. And Keith, Gillespie, and Keith <laughs> Gillespie went the other way. That doesn't happen anymore. It's it goes on for months and months and months. And by then by the time a player signs for a club, you're just like, oh,
2: fair enough. Yeah, it's it's a long-winded process, isn't it? I think I'm looking forward to educating myself about the the fringe players. You know, especially growing up, you you, you might have focused on the start of eleven or the players that were featured on Match of the Day in the the little mm. five-minute segments there used to be a Match mm. of the Day because you know. You wouldn't have like, mm-hmm. the extended highlights that we have seen now. And even trying to get footage of games has been quite difficult. Mm-hmm. You might get like 30 yeah. seconds of a game here or there and then have to read the match report. So
3: mm-hmm.
0: I'm
2: looking forward to delving a bit deeper in the squads and seeing who, uh, who's who been signed and, and who shouldn't have been signed. You know, looking back, um, <laughs> it's it, <laughs> Southall comes to mind at 41 and him about 20 stone. <laughs> um, Absolutely, yeah, Bradford. Uh, before we move on, I just want to talk a little bit about the the podcast title. We've been to and fro on about different titles. You know, we, there's lots of uh, football quotes that we we could have used um, and copyrighted, Kevin Keegan and Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane and um, Rafa Benitez and amongst amongst others. Uh, but we went for jumpers for goalposts. It's something again nostalgic in our childhood, uh, growing up. Dan, do you want to explain a wee bit about that?
1: Oh, I think it's just we were looking. For a name that is relevant to the audience, portraying a hit, who just grew up at a time where we really did just play football wherever we could, wherever it was possible to set up a game of football, we played a game, We played games of football whether it was your parks, your friends' parks, your grandparents' back garden. In the winter, we used to set up pitches in the dining room. You know, <laughs> put laying down jumpers, whatever you could get your hands on. Yeah. So I uh, really, really, it's just about a little bit of nostalgia. And something that everybody can relate to.
2: Mosh, you've been known to take uh, the jumpers and throw them over the fence if the game didn't go your <laughs> way? Isn't that right?
3: <laughs> yeah, the, especially considering uh, there was no referees back then, so there's no offside, there's no VAR. So yeah, uh, I tend <laughs> to have a short fuse, but I play to win.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm not. And-
3: I'm not there. I'm not there to make friends. So. <laughs> and
2: uh, I remember a few summers when there, it was too hot for a jumper, and you just use your t shirt instead and then just be bare chested at the back.
3: Uh, I, can't, I can't really recall this, but uh, I, as the say, body like pay watch, face
2: like crime watch, and all that. <laughs> Today, we're looking back at the last weekend of the 1999 2000. Premiership season. Manchester United already had the title wrapped up but there was still lots of business to take care of. We had Liverpool fighting for the last European Cup slash Champions League place. Bradford City and Wimbledon were fighting at the bottom in a dog fight to see who could still stay in the league. But before we get to that we're going to go and talk about a bit of transfer business and we're going to go with Dan's five best bits of business for this season. Dan, What's your top five? The top five, and just just to say, you could
1: slowly start seeing uh, the transfer fees rising. You know, we had Andy Cole, 6 million plus Gillespie, and then Shearer absolutely smashed it in the summer in 86, going for the 15. So fees were really increasing. There were still times for bargains and loans and things of that nature. Uh, But my top five is, starting with five, it's a player who came to the Premier League from the old First Division, and that's Robbie Keane. Who was signed by Coventry City from Wolverhampton Wonders for eight million pounds? All right, which was it works out for the Premier League an absolute bargain because obviously I Robbie Keane on to have a lot of clubs, but he was a fantastic Premier League player, a player with a touch of class, and he, he did well everywhere he went, really. And he was certainly a brilliant signing for Coventry, and I'm sure he'll come up later on when we talk about foreign uh, foreign leagues and such because he he actually leaves Coventry for Inter Milan later Crazy. on, so. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant career Robbie Keane had. In at number four is a loan signing and it's a returning hero to the Premier League. And it's Giannino Polista, little Giannino, who returns to Middlesbrough for a season-long loan from Atletico Madrid. What a brilliant bit of business that was. Um, Giannino was a world-class footballer um, and we'll touch on him, I'm sure, later on. Uh, In at number three is a Scandinavian signing. Uh, there was a lot of Scandinavian players who came to the Premier League in the 90s following the 92 European Championships and 94 World Cups. And this player moved from Molde to Southampton for £810,000. And that's Joe Tessum, mm-hmm. who worked out to be a brilliant player for Southampton, played under Dave Jones, Glenn Hoddle, etc. Probably at Southampton's best time in the Premier League when they had Laetitia Pahars, James Beattie, Kevin Davies, and 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 so on. Um, that so he's number three has been pretty good. Hey, it's a lot as I say, yeah, absolutely, Stephen. A lot of Scandinavian players who, and they all relative, they all did very well. Yeah. You know, obviously, great attitudes and and worked hard for their teams. And at number two, you could argue this is the best bit of business, but I'm just going to put a question mark on it because of where he comes from and why he left the club he's came from, and that's Thierry Henry who signed for Arsenal from Juventus for £14.5 million. Obviously, possibly the greatest Premier League player ever, but at the time, still question marks. Juventus hadn't worked out for him. So I'm putting him in number two. Um, obviously, he does work out. Uh, and then at number one, which I think is a an absolute bargain. Um, he was a player, uh, I wouldn't have minded, at the club I support as well. Always interesting that some of these rough diamonds are found by the very best managers the Premier League has seen, and it's uh, Sammy Hippia
3: mm-hmm.
1: who was signed by Liverpool from Willem 2 or two willies, as some people <laughs> like to call them, for 3.5 million pounds. He'd go on oh, to Captain Liverpool, and he would really he'd be one of the players who drove them on to a return to the Champions League and a return to Challenging for, for cups and trophies Maybe not the Premier League title at that time But certainly got the back in the hunt for trophies So Sammy Hippie was overall my best bit of business of the 99-2000 season yes.
2: Mosh, have you got a worse bit of business of the, the transfer window
3: of 99-2000 for us? I just don't have one bad bit of business I've got a few, Stephen. Oh. Um I'll start Indeed. off I'll start off with a man who blamed his studs for a goal at Old Trafford. Massimo Taibe.
2: Oh dear oh.
3: I'm sorry but you cannot blame your studs Especially at a club like Manchester United uh, Also Chelsea They wheeled and dealed that season as well too They brought in Ambrosetti As well, didn't cut the mustard Arsenal, this may be Debatable for a few men but I'm going to go with David Sucre A proven goal scorer at, I just don't think he lived up the expectation At Arsenal also, Leeds United signed Darn Hockerbury. Prolific at Coventry, but 40 appearance for Leeds and only two goals. And
1: Gee, what another... happened to him at Leeds? He did well, a big deal. You
3: know, when this Surely was a Leeds that's
1: what team. It is. <laughs> <that's>, that <laughs> has to be what it is.
3: And this is a Leeds team that um, had just crept into the Champions League as well, too. So. Another bit of business was by Sunderland. They splashed out 5.4 million on Stefan Schwartz, who had a clause in his contract that said if he were to travel to the moon, his contract would be terminated. So That's <laughs> surely not true. Is that's that surely good? what the internet has told me on a few reliable sources, and none of them was Peter Reed as well, let me tell you. Or name. <laughs> But number one worst bit of business is Chris Sutton. yeah. Signed for ten million pounds from a relegated Blackburn and he only chalked up one goal in twenty-eight games, which was against United in a final demolition. Proven premiership goal scorer, whether or not he couldn't cut the mustard or Chelsea style of football, or whether or not he him and Viali didn't see eye to eye, He just for the money back then, it just didn't all add up. He did end up having a prolific career at Celtic, but for that summer, that for me is the worst bit. Business, yeah, 10 million
2: pounds. You'd you'd want more than one goal for that, wouldn't you?
3: Absolutely.
2: I've got one more, um, bit of of business I'd like to throw at these lads. Uh, Okay, (laughs) that's be good. A bizarre one a 34 year old (laughs) George Weah moved from Milan to Chelsea in the January transfer window. He'd never been to London. He notches. Against Spurs in the London Derby, and then he goes off on one.
1: <laughs> Chelsea obviously <laughs> didn't buy what they thought they were buying, or get what they were thought they were getting on loan uh, of you know a world class footballer, Ballon d'Or winner. But obviously, it's the the time it just passed passed them by. SC Milan don't get rid of players uh, at any time if they're still good enough, no matter what their age. Yeah. So obviously, they, the the right was on the wall for him. Viali took a punt because Sutton hadn't worked out. Maybe, you know, get the fans behind Chelsea in a little bit and hopefully way I can give them that, that little bit of an injection. But no, it didn't work out. And um, the sexy football was no longer flowing from George. I think possibly Luca Vialli might have been able to still do a better job. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, just one of those things. But it's still great to see these players in the Premier League. Um, well, this is no, it. it I can't
2: be you know, what age? Were we? we were 12, 13 at this time and I can't remember George Weah actually being in the Premier League at all. Great stuff. So a lot of transfers there. We probably could have talked for two hours on on good business, bad business. Um, we'll we'll <laughs> talk about Neville Southall later on, a 41-year-old player, coach role for Bradford City. Unbelievable. So, let's, uh, let's just move on just now. actually. So, lads, one of the games we're going to cover is Newcastle versus Arsenal on the last day of the season. We can't cover that game without talking about Newcastle's plight through managers this season, uh, particularly one very famous Dutchman who was in charge in the FA Cup final the year before when United beat them 2-0, has now been given a free punt at the Geordie Land, and it doesn't quite work out for him. It's Mosh's favourite Dutch player, Rude Holland. Dan hollett had a very public spat with the captain Alan Shearer. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think Holland's mind was saying at the time? How much cannabis was he smoking when he dropped Alan Shearer? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he was smoking any cannabis. He's a
1: he's a fairly chilled out character, so maybe he was. But, well, he came from Chelsea where he, he won the FA Cup with Chelsea. He'd left Chelsea and he kind of started that at Chelsea where he'd he left Chinooka Viale um, mm. out after he was a big summer signing for them. And he's went to Newcastle then. You know, he's got a good reputation. OK, he didn't do anything wrong at Chelsea. And basically, he's looked at the best player and kind of wanted him out. Wanted to show, I'm big enough to leave you out and get results. Now, while it worked at Chelsea... Chelsea also had Gianfranco Zola and Hughes. Newcastle didn't have anyone else close to the calibre of Alan Shearer and he was one of the best footballers in the Premier League. So if you drop Alan Shearer publicly, then defend that decision, you have to win. Because if you don't win, you will get sacked.
2: In an interview in 2004 I've got here that Hollett said that he actually went to Shearer and said to his face that you're the most overrated player I have ever seen. <laughs> That's a absolutely mind
1: boggling, absolutely mind boggling. I don't know. It's absolutely crazy. So if you do that, you have to you have to back it up with results. And then the other Newcastle players are probably looking at going, "What is this man dropping Allen for? We mm. don't have anyone good enough." They had Duncan Ferguson, but Duncan Ferguson needed a foil, and that you know the kids by He's not at Allen. Alan Shearer was world class striker. People people forget that. So. Shearer probably is one of the first examples of player power in the Premier League. Where, because at that time managers had a lot of trust and Germans would give them a lot of power uh, compared to nowadays, that's to my mind the first real example of a manager getting the sack because he's dropped
2: the star player. He famously dropped him against Sunderland as well in the tiny mm. weird derby and he replaced mm. him with a young man called Paul Robinson, not the goalkeeper, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and young Paul. <laughs> Yeah, Young Paul didn't, <laughs> didn't stand a chance And uh, he really he really did sign his death warrant that day Poor Rude oh, But did. Did. these things come around And what they say when God closes a door He opens a window And in flying through the window Came Sir Bobby Robson
3: oh. He looked back at Newcastle over the last 20 years And I'd probably say Sir Bobby's the one that he got them taken over um, He got a, a consistent team out of them he enhanced players like Nobby Solano. Kieran Dyer had started his career, obviously, Alan Shearer up top. Um, after Hullet publicly destroying him, you can't drop a man like Alan Shearer, but Sir Bobby, you know, he'd done it at Barcelona. I know the term legend is thrown about a lot, but in terms of managerial appointments, this would be up there because he got the, he got the fans and the fans got him. And he kind of stabilized Newcastle at that period because... I think they kind of thought they were a top two, top four club, but realistically they were just, you know, top half. So you kind of balanced it and the romance between Sir Bobby and the fans paid off and the performances on the the, the field started to elevate then into the next season going forward.
2: And Sir Bobby will be in charge of the Geordies for our game, which we're covering next, which is Newcastle versus Arsenal on the last day of the ninety-nine two thousand season, and it's coming up right after this. With many commiserations, he um, must be very disappointed having lost that derby match. Yeah, uh, disappointed about the way we
1: lost the game, but uh, especially I'm disappointed because of, for the fans, because uh, it looked all over, again hopeful, and then the second half, uh, yeah, things happened that uh, cost you the game.
2: He made a very bold decision at the start to leave out the player who cost Newcastle £15 million pounds and Alan Shearer, why did he take that decision?
1: I think that the players did well who played the last game against Wimbledon and they deserved another chance and it uh, went well.
2: OK, our first game to look at is Newcastle versus Arsenal at St James's Park. It's an end-of-season cracker. Newcastle has still had a wee touch of the Kevin Keegan's left in them here, much. Uh, Arsenal... Potentially one eye on the UEFA Cup final. What happened at St. James's?
3: Yes, thank you very much, Stephen. Yes, Arsenal certainly had one eye on the UEFA Cup final, while Newcastle still had one eye on sexy football. Um, Newcastle started out with share given in the onion bags a back four of Howie Dabby Das Griffin and Warren. Was that Andy Griffin was it?: No Peter Griffin. He was okay, in, not good. with Andy Griffin. Oh, all right. Okay, good, good. Um a midfield four of Like to Kick uh sponsor board Kitspeyer, Rob Lee, Gary on speed, and we nobby Solano with a young Karen Dyer in behind Alan Shira. Um it was his pro-evo name. Arsenal, um, <laughs> as I said, one eye on the UEFA Cup final, I think Wenger. He smoked a 20-deck, had a bag of tins and thought, you know what? I'll go with Alex Manninger in the bags. Winterburn at the back, um, along with the straightest fringe you've ever seen, Ola Luzhne, in beside the thuggish Martin Cohn and a Winston at left back. Um, a midfield of, I'm not going to let to you, two of these boys i would never heard of, a Vernanza. sounds like an Italian dessert, along with Mals. Ray Parlor on the right and a young Ashley Cole left wing, Ooh. along with big Nwanku Kanu up top with Suker, Nobby Solano, he, he gave Arsenal the ghosts all day. Um, he was nobbling away, and he drifted a ball into the box. his fringe couldn't handle it with it. Shearer flicked it over, and Gary speed sped in to thump it into the back of the net. 1-0 to the Geordies. Didn't take Arsenal long to respond. A floated ball over the top. Canu, um left Dabby Das for dust and his big long seven foot legs um, seeing Shea giving off his line and he just says how you like that Shea dinked him cheeky lob 1-1 one, one. but Newcastle they want a free kick 25 yards out for goal speed and Nobby stood over it but there was only one man stepping up to smash this into the back of the net big Alan sure, Alex Manninger Arsenal's number two for so long while well, he was picking his second one out of the net. That was Shearer's 30th of the season and his 300th career goal. Not bad for a man who hasn't smiled since 1995. Halftime, Newcastle 2, Arsenal 1. Good slowy move um, from Arsenal in the second half. It fell to Canoe on his size 23 boot and he slipped it through into Stefan Melch, who slotted it past Wieschese for 2-2. Then Newcastle won a corner, and who else was going to hit it but we, Nobby Knots? His delivery was met with speed again by Gary Speed. His 13th goal of the season, 3-2 Newcastle. Nobby was at it again, this time laying off Andy Griffin, not Peter Griffin, but Andy, after a good work by Crystal May's head and man-man Kitspaya, and Griffin notched his first ever goal for the Geordies after a horrendous injury. to Newcastle and this was the last time Newcastle would be wearing a kit sponsored by Newcastle Brown Ale they had ended their 10 year sponsorship with them to sign for NTLA so it was a nice way to go out with a fitting performance to match the Brown Ale Newcastle 4 Arsenal 2 back to you Steve
2: whoa I can't believe that they should never have got rid of Newgate Brown Ale was that it must have been a law change or something God, I'd love a Nuki brownie right now. Lots of talking points there. Um, lots of abuse for uh, Nobby, not Solano. Surely the goal of the game here, boys, is Shearer's 25-yard free kick, which just lifted into the top of the net. Not too many could hit it as hard and as sweet as he could have done. Oh,
1: oh, brilliant! He was a very, very good free kick taker. Those power free kicks, you know, ones that were laid off to him, or he would just go up and drill one. He was so accurate. If it went to the top corner, that's you know we meant to put it there. And I, it just uh, St James's Park was bouncing that uh, end of season game. Nothing to play for. Arsenal resting loads of players. Uh, the the UEFA Cup final the following midweek. So, as uh, Moss says, Wenger. <laughs> He might not have even been there, I don't know. So uh, <laughs> it was all there for Newcastle to send the fans home home happy and have a bit of an end-of-season
2: bash. There was a young lad on the bench for Arsenal, lads, uh, a Brian McGovern. Rumours has it he's <coughs> been the Black Lion a couple of times. Um, he, he, might have, he might have been. He might he be might able to been. throw a dart as well. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. Do, do we know anything about uh, Brian McGovern? I don't know anything about him, Steve. Don't,
1: don't, before you brought him to our attention, but I do feel as though we know him somehow. We know yes. plenty of McGovern, so maybe we've come across him. Uh, no, again, I think, um, you know, um, lot of tickets were drawn to get in the Arsenal squad that day, like, and poor old, <laughs> old Parlour and Winterburn were just dragged down to suffer. <laughs> so, apart from that, it was very much the second string, so. Um, fair play to any any young player getting on the senior team but obviously the, they were never going to be part of Fenger's long-term plans Fair
2: play to McGovern for getting on the pitch Definitely He came on in the 67th minute for anyone who wants to know <laughs> Not um, bad Not bad He got a good 23 minutes there Not much stoppage time back then He yeah. may have got a minute stoppage time too uh, Just at the end of that <laughs> Even though there was six goals there would be about six minutes stoppage time now <laughs> Uh, right lads, moving on our next game is Everton the Toffees against Middlesbrough that other wonderful team up in the northeast. Dan you had to look at this one for us what went down at your favourite stadium Goodison Park
1: yes my favourite stadium Goodison Park is right uh, yeah another end of season game with um, little on the line this game's chosen basically you know when we I'm just going to throw out the lineups here um, some real characters and Premier League stalwarts uh, for Everton in goals Paul Gerrard at the back Michael Ball Richard Dunn David Weir David Unsworth midfield Scottish international John Collins Stephen Hughes formerly of Arsenal young Stephen Hughes Don Hutchinson yes. and Nick Nick Barnby flying down the left wing and a uh, a mixed strike partnership youth and experience a young Phil Jevons getting a game for Everton. On the final day And partnered By Mark Sparky Hughes Unbelievable <laughs> Hughes he's he had still some about end,
2: He's still, he's about, still here. about He had
1: some end Of his career Didn't he uh, For Middlesbrough uh, Brian Robson and, and uh, Viv Anderson's Middlesbrough Mark Schwarzer in goals Gianluca Festa uh, Steve Vickers Curtis Fleming Colin Cooper at the back Midfield <laughs> Phil Stamp Robbie Musto The Governor Paul Inks, And in the free roll Janino Polista And a front two of Andy Campbell A man we may well know also And the beautiful <laughs> Brian Dean Who had been signed back From for Middlesbrough, from where? Can you answer me that question? Uh, Leeds. Where did he Where did Middlesbrough sign him from? No Sheffield United. He had a club in between.
2: Benfica. Oh Jesus Christ! He had a lovely year in the sun. Benfica for a year. Good lad,
1: Brian. He had a year in the sun with Graham with Graham Souness and a few other uh, Premier League stalwarts, and he'd return. This was his second season with Middlesbrough. And he started up front, and he had a field day. Um, Everton clearly on holiday. Uh, Middlesbrough called all the shots. They had a bit of a hiccup mid season, Middlesbrough, but bounced back well. Janino and Paulin's really, really getting them going in midfield in this game as well. A very experienced back four, a flat back four, but it was all about getting Janino on the ball on this day, and he was was the man of the match. He um assisted Brian Dean for the opener, and then. The two players would again link up uh, to play a lovely 1-2 after a flowing move involving uh, Vickers, uh, Ince and Stamp. (laughs) Then Janino and Dean played a 1-2 and Janino finished the game off to make it 2-0. Nothing much uh, in terms of challenges or yellow cards or red cards in the game, as I say. Everton definitely on holiday
2: and Middlesbrough just having a bit of a samba party heading into the summer. Brilliant stuff. Dan, you know, we have this wonderful player called Janino in the middle. And then Mm. two players around him mopping up in Phil Stamp and Robbie Musto, Uh, but needed. Middlesbrough heroes,
1: Middlesbrough heroes. Robbie Musto, I think was with Middlesbrough from the mid-90s. And Phil Stamps seemed to be around a long time as well. And he's another one of those, you know, he didn't look like a pro footballer. But Robo Brian Robson was very, very loyal to these lads. You know, they went up together, they went down together, they got the cup finals together. They went out um, together. They went out together. They drank wine and, uh, together. Just, uh, yeah, unbelievable. So, uh, no, Middlesbrough back then always had a few characters. I think the saying of Paulins was very shrewd. And any chance you get uh, the sign a player of, of Giannini's calibre, even if it is only on loan. The little man loved Middlesbrough, the Middlesbrough fans loved him. So uh, it, it was a match made in heaven, really, uh, even though we could have played for, for a top three, four team club. Uh, exciting end of season game, few
2: goals and away we go. Now it's the part of the podcast where Dan falls in love with those unorthodox independent-minded footballers. It's Dan's Maverick of the Week.
1: This week's Maverick of the Week is Giannino Paulista. Um, We've seen him in the Premier League for Middlesbrough on three occasions. Um... Some working out better than others, and I just want to go through his career. He started off at Sao Paulo and was signed firstly by Middlesbrough in the summer of 1995, helping them uh, secure a mid-table finish in the season 95-96. 96-97 was an up-and-down season for Middlesbrough. We probably remembered well they got the the League Cup final beaten by Leicester, the FA Cup final beaten by Chelsea. And they were relegated on the final day of the season after getting uh, drawn one all with Leeds United at Ellen Road. There's that famous image of Brian Robson picking Janino up off the floor, the little man's in tears. He was never gonna go and play in the old division one, so he had to leave and he moved to Atletico Madrid. Mixed mixed fortunes in Spain was in and out of the team. Um and the chance came for him to return. Uh, to Middlesbrough for this season that we're talking about today, 1999-2000. And there was a smile back on his face again. He, he had a really, really good season. 15 assists, five goals. And really, really helped sec- uh, Middlesbrough secure Premier League status comfortably. Way back home to Brazil then uh, to help get them prepared for upcoming World Cups and force forces way back into the squad. He played for Vasco da Gama, a club we would know well from World Club Championships. He played for Flamingo as well, spent a year there. And then, In 2002, he was part of the Brazil squad that won the World Cup, played in a few games as well, came on in the final, uh, Big Phil Scolari's team, and then would return to Middlesbrough. If you'd just taken on the Middlesbrough job like Steve McLaren has, who's your signing going to be? It's going to be Janinho. So Steve McLaren brings the wee man back home. He spends another two seasons there. And I love this story. In 2004, he wins the League Cup with Middlesbrough after, you know, a lot of heartache with the relegation and losing cup finals. He finally gets his hand on a trophy with them. He re- retired, obviously, as a legend at Middlesbrough. He officially retired in 2008, right? But he came out of retirement in 2010 to become player president of his hometown club, Ituano in Brazil A local club And he helped them Stay up He helped them avoid rele- Relegation As player president He was then Awarded a testimonial By Middlesbrough Even though he didn't Play for the club You know for 10 years Your traditional testimonial Yeah And he helped them uh, In his testimonial game The Middlesbrough Legends team Beat PSV Eindhoven Legends 3-2 He's a little magic man He was a fantastic player A wonderful playmaker A player who punched above his weight, scored goals, created goals. And I think everything I've read about him has been nice. And he is summed up by literally what you would see on on the TV in front of you. Uh, A skillful player who played football the right way and really had a very interesting career. He's still beloved by Middlesbrough fans today.
2: Brilliant, brilliant player. I just remember this um, massive smile he used to have on the pitch. You know, sort of like Mm. a Ronaldinho before... For his time, with all due respect to Middlesbrough Football Club, why was he there three times when the guy is a World Cup winner, obviously a world class player? What what happened that he had to, you know, again with all due respect to Middlesbrough, he probably did love the club. Why did he have to keep going back to the Northeast and you know being loaned out by Atletico Madrid? What? Mm. It's bizarre
1: For me it's all about it's all about comfortable, being comfortable. He knew the area. he knew the fans, knew the club, he had a home there. He knew he would play and that's what he needed to play needed to do He was play to prepare try and force his way back into the Brazil squad for World Cups and so on. um he had a m- majority of a, of a spelling in Spain that was unhappy, so he really just wanted to play football. I'm sure there was a few other clubs that came knocking, but maybe they were clubs at the same level of Atletico or maybe above. So he's just thinking, I've got to play. I know a club that will play me. The fans adore me. You know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna play every week unless he's injured. He will play every week, even if he has a bad game the week before. He will play the following week because he's a little, little magic player. So I think it was just a lot of it was down to his re- relationship with the city. And Middlesbrough would get a lot of criticism for being not an interesting place but it's a place probably Giannino had a lot of family members over with him as well and he just lived a very comfortable happy life you know he was playing football his family were happy
2: that's all you want that that
1: was basically it that's you know sometimes that's all professional footballers needed and back then although there was a lot of European footballers in the Premier League there wasn't a lot of South Americans so those guys are very family orientated and as long as they have their family They've got wealth. They've got their religion. They've got their beliefs, and they've got the game that they love. That's all they really need. I've watched a lot of clips of him, and I kind of fell in love with
2: him again. I thought I you were a in bit 80s. in love with him. I, I, I had this sneaking feeling that like you were secretly in love with there <laughs> He also looks a little bit like
1: Frankie D'Amore as well, which is which is which is cool. He does. He
2: does, and he is small enough to um, be a jockey. Um... Yeah,
1: so, I, I, he's he's a winner for me. And... <laughs> <laughs>
2: Don't touch the pack. We'll be right back after this very, very important message.
0: When you do that with footballers, like he said about Leeds, and when you do things like that about a man like Stuart Pearce, I'm, I've kept really quiet. But I'll tell you something. He went down in my estimation when he said that. We have not resorted to that. But I'll tell you. You can tell him now. Be watching it. We're still fighting for this title, and he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. And and I'll tell you honestly. I will love it if
2: we beat them. Love it. So now our attention turns to the Dell. Yes, the Dell, where Southampton used to play. An attendance of 15,249 people showed up to watch the Saints play Wimbledon on the last day. Could the crazy gang do it? Let's find out. Dan, what went down at the Dell on the last day of the season? Well,
1: going by how the season went, Wimbledon probably couldn't have picked a trickier game. A Southampton team that was really firing. Uh, uh, newly instated Glenn Hoddle. He, he built a decent team building on what Dave Jones had done beside him. He had a couple of lovely, lovely players. So just bouncing off the lineups here. Um, Southampton's lineup with Neil Moss and goals. Back four of a young Wayne Bridge, who'd been brought in by Glenn Huddle from the reserves, Tahar El Kalej, a Moroccan centre back, Claus Lundig, the ever reliable Norwegian centre back for Southampton, and Jason Dodd, another, another stalwart. Uh, in midfield was um, Solved, another Norwegian fine by Southampton, Joe Tessem, Matt Oakley, who's a decent England yeah. player, uh, yeah. and Hassan Kashloul, another Moroccan international. Who we would all remember well And then a strike force um, Of Marion Pahors Who had a free role With a target man Of a young Kevin Davies Then women's team uh, Neil Sullivan Who was a good goalkeeper Despite uh, conceding loads of goals um, okay, well From, from David yes. Begum <laughs> <laughs> At the back They had Alan Kimball Ben Thatcher Dean Blackwell oh. um, And midfield Trond Anderson Duncan Yup, Neil Ordley And uh, Marcus Gale And and up front They had Jason Newell And Carl Court So Wimbledon Still holding on To that sort of Physical Physical threat And hoping for the best With a bit of Pace and power up front Game gets going And Wimbledon Very very nervous heading into it Obviously a lot on the line For them And it continues that way They're creating Very little chances Southampton are knocking The ball about with freedom They're safe They're at home they just want to give the fans fans a good day out. And they've got Cash Lule in particular, along with Murray and Powers, is, is running the game. And a um, bit of panic at the back from Wimbledon. Kimball and Blackwell uh, take Powers out of it, both of them combined. Bit of a sandwich tackle. And the ball's thumped into the middle, middle top of the net. A great free kick from, from young Wayne Bridge to put uh, Wimbledon 1-0 down against the run of play then obviously a lot of pressure from Wimbledon but the huffed and puffed again it didn't create any chances and anything that they did create was sort of rushed efforts you know blocked by Southampton or easy, easy save by Moss and then on the break with a few minutes to go Pahars gets the ball just just inside, um his half just runs at Kimball takes him on beats him and slots home a lovely finish with the left foot and you know that, that was it for Wimbledon they haven't got the win that they needed and they're hoping for something elsewhere.
2: Oh, so yes, Wimbledon finished with 33 points after 38 games. They need Liverpool to beat Bradford to stay in the Premier League. Liverpool obviously fighting for that last Champions League spot. We will find out in the match of the week later on whether or not they can stay in the Premiership. Absolutely. And now it's over to Mush the Matchman with the rest of the weekend scores.
3: Thank you, Stephen. The rest of the final weekend of the 1999-2000 season scores. Aston Villa, nil. Manchester United, one. Oh, Teddy Teddy with the goal. Chelsea, four. Derby County, nil. Little Gianfranco Zola, Gus Poit, Di Matteo and big Torre Andre Flo with the goals. While Mario shot with an assist. We, Dennis Wise with an assist. And we, Gianfranco Zola. Sheffield Wednesday, four. Leicester City, nil. Goals by journeyman Alan Quinn, Andy Booth, Gels Build, and that man who stung Peter Schmeichel's hands the season before, Alexanderson, who also popped up with a brace of assists. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Sunderland, one. Sick note, Darn Anderton from the spot. Tim, I thought I was going to be a manager, Sherwood, with a goal. And Stephen Carr, who was set up by none other than Soul man Campbell? Sunderland's goals came from Chris Mackin, set up by Phillips. Watford won. Coventry, nil. Journeyman Harida Haragelson on the end of a Durham Ward assist. And finally, West Ham United, nil. Leeds United, nil. Mark Vivian Fowey sent off for West Ham. That concludes the final weekend of the 1999-2000 season results.
2: We will be back with our quiz of the week, but first here is a lovely little goal from our Maverick of the week. It's Janinho. We he's Back to Mendy, have to look at the space here. It's
0: Janinho, it must be, and it is. He's hit the post, he's forced the
1: Against the woods? This week's Balls Against the Wall quiz is sponsored by the ball that Matletisier powerfully sent through Massimo Tabi's legs in a three three draw at Old Trafford between Southampton and Manchester United. To see this ball you must visit Mat house, where it sits on his mantelpiece.
0: Oh what a ball.
2: Yes, welcome to the Balls Against the Wall Quiz, the quiz where I pit Dan against Mosh to see who has the best. Football knowledge, lads. It's going to be a big one this week. We're going back to 99, 2000. All the questions are about that year. First of all, I need your player buzzers. Dan, what is your player buzzer this week? Bobby Oh, a fine left back. And Mush, what is your player buzzer?
0: Samarano.
2: A spicy Chilean striker. (laughs) Lovely. We are honoured, privileged this week to have a very special guest of the pod, He's just here to take the scores. It is the legend that is Ua Cantona, Eric Cantona.
1: What? Unbelievable.
2: How are you doing, Eric? I am Cantona. Okay, great stuff, Eric. So Eric's taking the scores for us. You will know when the quiz is over when you hear this noise. Absolute load of nonsense. Absolute load of nonsense. Question one. Who was the top goal scorer in the 99 2000 season in the Premier League? Bobby Oro. Yes, Dan. Alan Shearer. Incorrect. Mosh, it passes to you. Kevin Phillips. Kevin Phillips is correct. One point to oh, Mosh. Kevin Phillips, what a shout. Who finished second in the league that year? Bobby Oro. Yes, Dan. Arsenal. Correct. Who was the Aston Villa manager during the 99-2000 season?
0: Domirano.
2: Yes, Mush. John Gregory. Correct. Who sponsored Villa that year? Bobby Oro. Yes, Dan. LDV Vans. (laughs) Excellent. Yes, correct. (laughs) Who wore the number nine for Leicester City at the start of the campaign? Domirano. Yes, Mush. Emil Heskey. Correct. Who won the League Cup in the year 2000? Bobby Oro. Yes, Dan. Leicester City. Correct. <sighs> Who did Newcastle buy Kieran Dyer from? Sababi Oh, mush just in time there, mush. West Ham. No, not right, Dan. Ipswich Town. Correct. Who finished rock bottom in the Premier League on 24 points? Damarano. Yes, Mush. Sunderland. Incorrect. Dan. Uh, Watford. Correct. Watford is right. Who won the Champions League in the year 2000? Bobby Oro. Yes, Dan. Real Madrid. Correct. Mario Jardel, Rivaldo and which other player finished top scorer in the Champions League with 10 goals each? Samorano. Yes, Mosh. Raúl. Correct. Question. Absolute load of nonsense. Absolute load of nonsense. Oh, we are out of time. Well, lads, that was intriguing. Um, it was very close there. Some big points racked up for both players. We're going over to Ua with the scores. What were the scores, Eric? Daniel. Six. Conner. Okay, thank you Eric and congratulations to Dan. Your prize this week is the number two single from the charts in that week in 2002 and that was Oops I Did It Again by Britney Spears. It will be whirling its way to you in the coming days.
0: It's Match of the Week! Bloody
2: hell! Yes, welcome to Match of the Week. We are going live to Valley Parade with Mush the Matchman. It's all over. Bradford, have they stayed up? Have Liverpool got that last Champions League place? It's all go at Valley Parade. Mush the Matchman, what has happened?
0: Oh, Stephen, unbelievable scene here at Valley Parade. Dermot Gallagher's whistle has been met by 18,000 fans. Hysteria! Paul Jewell the scouser, he's got one over in the scousers. The fans, mind you, they thought they had won the game with a minute to go as they imploded onto the pitch, but the Stuarts fell in the cross to take them off. Uh, the sides were separated by a David Wetherall header that Steve Bruce would have been proud of as he towered above Sammy Hupia and Honcho to raise it into the back of the net early on in the game thanks to a beautiful set-piece delivery from Gunnar Heller. This towering header, it gave Bradford hope. By God, do they cling on to it. But Cole and Begree in midfield were battling hard against Diddy, Haman and Co. Hasky and Owen give them problems, but David Wetherill marshalled that back line. And Dean Windass took a page out of David Beckham's book late on, trying to lob Sammy Vestervelt from the halfway line. But Big Sammy tipped it over the top. Paul Jules done it. He's wearing a long black polo with a white collar on a scorching day. The man is beetroot red as his blood pressure would be through the roof. Bradford City have done it. They've stayed up on the last day of the season. Liverpool have choked and they have not got Champions League qualification. It's finished here. Bradford City won. Liverpool nil. Back to you in the studio, Steve.
2: Well, if Paul Jules' blood pressure is through the roof, I'm sure yours needs checked as well, much the match, man. Is he okay? Someone get that man a defibrillator. What a game at Valley Parade. Bradford did it. The 36 points, they just about stayed up. What the hell happened here at Valley Parade? Liverpool, surely big favourites to go and, and take the three points and get into the Champions League spots.
1: Oh, Liverpool, massive favourites. You know, a win, as you've just said. Stephen gets them in the Champions League. Considering the team Liverpool put out as well, you know, was full strength. Michael Owen, Stephen Gerrard, Jamie Redknapp, Patrick Berger, Dietmar Hammond, Sammy Hippier, you know, uh, all the big hitters that they had at that time. And Bradford had struggled most of the season, sort of rallied near the end of the season. And uh, I suppose gathered a bit of momentum. You have a packed crowd. Um and they just wanted it more. Got the early goal and held on, held on. And uh, David Wilder all a bit of a cult hero at Leeds. And he, he moves down the road to Bradford, he gets the goal. And Bradford, you know, not a team of journeymen, but a very, very aging team. Um, papered with a couple of young players at the back, Andy O'Brien would be a name who, who stands out for me there. Um, Lee Sharp uh, as well, Peter Bakery been about years. Like to strike the front two alone, like where do you see that? Dean Saunders and Dean Windass. that is unbelievable. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm, I'm sure after Jared earlier was absolutely fuming. You know, they'd been pipped to the post by uh, Leeds United in the end
2: up at that time, three teams going into the Champions League spots. So, did Bradford secretly do them a, a favour? Because without this, Liverpool wouldn't have won their treble the year after. <laughs> yeah, the year after they won the three cups.
1: Um, I don't think Gerald Hurley would have seen it that way at the time, but maybe it just showed that they were just missing a bit of a bit of something, a bit of spark on that final day that he had to go again in the market, which he did. I think he went out and signed five or six players the following summer, Bobbit and McAllister. I just maybe just didn't have the legs on the day just to, to carry them through. But on the outside looking in, they really just they just blew a magnificent chance. Um, and for, oh, fair play to Bradford. They were, they would they would have been tipped. Tip to go down from the very first ball kicked in August. So they did really well. A young Paul Jewell in charge of them.
2: He'd yes. have been in
1: his early 30s at the time. So, yes. you know, they really, really did well. And I'm sure the likes of Sharp, McCall, Bagry, Saunders, um, helped them out quite a bit.
2: Mosh, an old school uh, pitch invasion here, um, about a minute before the
3: game actually blew up. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: was great to see. Yeah. I'm sure you,
3: you loved looking at that. The fans should have held their horses. I don't know what they had thought. I don't know why they had thought the game had finished, but looking back, the Stewarts had earned their, earned their crust that day because to get the couple of hundred which had invaded the pitch back off, it's probably one of the highlights of the day. <laughs>
2: oh, <definitely>. um,
3: <laughs> because <laughs> there wasn't much to go about in action in this game as Bradford dug deep and yeah. Liverpool didn't really muster up much that day.
2: So, unfortunately, lads, the crazy gang have got the chop here. A sad mm. ending for a very cult team of the 90s. Brilliant characters throughout the years of Vinny Jones, Dennis Wise, those front players that we talked about earlier, including Robert, Robbie Earle and Marcus Gale. Sad to see them go down, Dan? I was at the
1: time. I was at the time. I was sad to see Wimbledon go Um that had been a big part of the Premier League in the nineties, uh, obviously in the late eighties, they won the FA Cup, but they'd really, really, they punched above their weight for years, and just when the, when Joe Kinnear left them due to um, ill health at the time, they just lost something, and they had uh, lost Vinnie Jones, Dean Holdsworth, um, John Fashanu, a lot of those characters. And I just think the recruitment let them down. You know, they'd lost and
3: Chris Perry, the Spurs.
1: Yeah, Chris Perry, the Spurs. Um, And I just think they weren't able to attract any players, really. You know, there was a lot of clubs in London, a lot of competition in the Premier League from teams who'd come up and done well. And I just think they run out of steam and they ran out of quality, really. It would have been interesting to see what would have happened if they would have stayed up in terms of the club's history. Would it have continued? But... Overall, maybe their time was just up, um, that didn't replace the players that sold. And the game's all about if you do not recruit well, you you will suffer. It doesn't matter how long you've been in a in a division. When when the time comes for you, you will go down.
2: Now it's time for the part of the show where we read Steve Bruce one of his favourite bedtime stories in the bath. It's Big Brucey's bedtime bath. Here we go. Hey Brucies Bedtime bath, nice and warm, full of suds, a
0: scented candle, a rubber duck. In the bath, Brucey, don't give up dreams of passes to be.
2: Dreams of is Okay Dan, I'm ready, I've got the story ready here um, Can you just check if, if Brucey's ready for a story? Hey Brucey,
1: are you alright? Are you
2: cosy in the bath?
1: Have you got enough hot water? Have you got your wee rubber ducky? Now make sure and get washed properly this time I want you to do your hair and everything Okay, use plenty of conditioner Because Polly's coming round to play tomorrow And you want to be nice and clean for Polly
2: Okay Brucey This week's story comes from one of your favourite people, Paul Merson, and his autobiography, How Not to Be a Professional Footballer. When Gaz, Paul Gascoigne, started drinking at our shared pad, I soon caved in. One Sunday, I got back on the booze. But given that I was sharing a house with football's favourite nutter, our session had a crazy twist. We started playing a drinking game that Gaz knew, which involved sleeping tablets and red wine. If it sounds suicidal, that's because it was. Gaz would send Jimmy Fay bellies to a fancy hotel to buy a grog. He used to go there himself quite a bit to relax, but he couldn't have bought any booze there without word getting back to the club. Living in Middlesbrough was like living in that Jim Carrey movie, The Truman Show. I would see a familiar face in the health club in the morning. Then I'd see them at the supermarket in the afternoon. If I went out to a restaurant in the evening, Chances are I'd see them there as well. It was a real goldfish bowl existence, and as professional footballers, we couldn't get away with anything. For the game, Gaz wanted the wine from this one particular hotel because it was nice stuff, but I swear Jimmy was going to the local spa to get it because it tasted like vinegar. It was my first drink in three and a half years. When Jimmy came back, we all started knocking back, glass after glass. We'd drink a glass, then take one of Gaza's sleeping tablets. The game was based on stamina. Whoever stayed awake the longest won and scooped up a few grand in bets. We played the game a few times while Gaza was living with me. It's a miracle it didn't kill one of us. But it's all we had to do because there was nothing else to keep us occupied up there. In Newcastle, you could lose yourself a little bit in the town because it was so big. But in Borough, there was nothing. Apart from football. Did you
3: enjoy that, Brucey? Good. Good night, Brucey. Sleep tight. And don't let Gary Pallister bite.
2: I am buzzing for this part of the podcast. So each week we're going to pick a player that looks like a character from The Simpsons. Go into our Simpsons Lookalike 11 Dan, you very Luckily got to have the first Pick, who have you gone for?
1: So straight into the team, the Simpsons Lookalike 11, this week Is Gilles Gromondy The Arsenal utility man Who is the spitting image Of Marge Simpson's bowling coach Jacques, Jacques also steal Marge steal Marge Simpson from Homer and start an illicit affair with her, much like the affair Gilles Grimondi had with Ray Parler.
2: <laughs> so can we just we'll just get this clear, that it's, it's simply look-alike, it's not characteristic, so you're not trying to imply that Gilles Grimondi met married women in his spare time? I cannot speak for Gilles Grimondi, but <laughs> I'd like to think that he possibly did. He <laughs> taught them how to bowl, and I brought them out to brunch?
1: oh loads of brunches the French
2: the Frenchies didn't drink at Arsenal so they had to be up to something you know about brunch mush, don't you yes it's not quite breakfast it's not quite lunch but you get a good meal but you get a substantial meal <laughs> exactly so that's a great first pick there for Dan Giles Grimondi going straight in to the centre field of our Simpsons lookalike 11 superb well listener that's it for the pod this week we hope you enjoyed it Please join us next week where we will take a trip back to March 2002. Our match of the week is West Ham versus Manchester United. We will drop down a division to cover the infamous Battle of Bramall Lane and we go deep into Europe to cover one of Serie A's top teams in our Euro match of the week. We will also have our weekly quiz, Brucey will be splashing about in his bath and I will be picking the next player in our Simpsons lookalike 11. We would really like to hear from you listeners, so if you have any requests for a period of football that you would like covered, if you've got good stories about games you've been to or football personalities that you've met, or maybe a bizarre fact that would enlighten us all on the pod, football related of course, you can get in touch via email at jumperspodcast at gmail.com, that's jumperspodcast at gmail.com, or contact us on Twitter, our handle is at jumpers4goal4. That's at jumpers4FOR, goal and the number four. We have an absolute tune for you coming up to play us out this week, folks. Unfortunately, due to rights reasons, we can only play a short clip, but I do encourage you to go and download it from wherever you download music. It's England and Manchester United striker Andrew Cole with his hit, Outstanding. So it's good night from me and it's good night from Dan. Say good night, Dan. Good night, Dan. And it's good night from Mush the Matchman. Say good night, Mush.
3: Good night, Mush. See you next week. Oh, Yeah, Andy Cole, break it down. Tell the world my name. Who's that, Andy Cole? I place a scene
0: the scene. Score the coast Keep my eyes on the prize. My inspiration to celebrate life to rock the nation. Gather round. Get close to me. Here's a VIP to my private party. I'll stand there. Oh.